Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Let's get ready to rumble on this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm your referee tonight, Mr. Androge. Let's meet the prize fighters in each corner as we get into this latest episode oh, this should be good. of the best seat of the house of all things movies and entertainment. He's the type of guy who would apologize after giving you a left hook and knocking you out, Mr. Nate Lungarini. It was with your bad hand, a left hook. Wow. <laughs> you know it. I've been exercising. Keystrokes all day long, editing you guys out of this podcast. Key on, key off, as Mr. Miyagi would say. And then he's the type of guy who would try to bite your ear off at the weigh-in. Mr. Jake Hensler, can you wait till we get in the ring, please? Uh, I'll see you in a ring. How about that? I, are you proposing? What, what was that? <laughs> no, I didn't say I'm giving you. I said I'll see you. <laughs> anyway, the Middle Seeds Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome. Here's how the show is typically divided. We have three different segments. We start with kind of the topics you would talk to your friends about in the lobby of a movie theater, Lobby Talk. Each member of the crew proposes a different topic. Nate's turn this week. He'll get into that in a bit. Then we talk about the biggest movie news of the week. And then we move into our feature review of one of the biggest movies that has come out in the past couple of weeks. This week, it is a boxing sequel, Creed 2. So guys, fun show ahead. I think we're going to have a good time. We're all kind of got our belly stuffed from the post-Thanksgiving holiday. But I think, you know what the best way to work off those calories is? Some good, hearty movie discussion. Let's start with Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? before you can make the lobby. Alrighty, gentlemen, we are going to be reviewing Creed later, which is obviously part of the Rocky series, which, above all other things, has that iconic theme song. So yeah, there's your iconic music from the running up the stairs scene. That has shown up in some form in all Rocky movies, Creed, Creed 2 included. So, obviously, that got the Middle Seats crew here thinking, what are our favorite movie themes? Now, we're going to preface this conversation with two little disclaimers. All three of us are well aware that John Williams is a bloody legend. And we could go on and on on everything that John Williams has done through movies, through all of time. So we're taking all of his work aside just for the sake of variety here and picking our own stuff. Uh, so let's start with Jake. So there's obviously like 101 that you could choose from and be happy with. Uh, but avoiding John Williams is really good. And then trying not to, you know, go too, too mainstream still gets kind of hard. Um, I But I couldn't help but think uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, the overarching, like the main, 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 main one uh, sticks out of my head. And then specifically the writers of Rohan is also, or Rohan, excuse me, uh, is beautiful. Uh, 
haven't even seen the trilogy in probably over five years now. It's been a while since I've seen any of them. I still every so often just find myself humming any of the themes. It could be a, like one of four or five. All of them are so fitting, so well done and beautiful and just, ugh. Ah, yes, the non-mainstream Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I said it was struggle not to go mainstream. <laughs> I said it was struggle not to. I couldn't help myself. I think the Riders of the Rohan theme specifically backdrops probably my favorite movie scene of all time. It gets you so amped. You want to grab a sword and jump on a horse and jump into their army. You know what I mean? And it, like yeah. you put that with Theoden's big speech to his riders in Return of the King. And like that feeling is very rarely matched in film. That's when film is at its apex. It's epic. It's epic yeah. consolidated in a couple notes. And right. a ton of movies have that one scene where they bust out the theme and you get goosebumps. And that, hands down, is, like, an iconic Lord of the Rings scene solely for that reason. Just right. Just oh, epic, yeah. epic theme. And I love, like, when th- scores have, like, different sounding themes for each part of the story. Like, you have your Sauron theme, and you have your Rohan theme, and you have your Fellowship of the Ring theme. Like, these movies aren't the best. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But, like, the Batman v Superman, like, Wonder Woman's theme, and Batman is his own theme, and Superman is his own theme. Stuff like that is pretty cool when composers do that. Lord of the Rings does that really well. Amen. All right, let's move on to Drew. What do you got for us? Well, I think the themes that stick the most with me are the ones that kind of, the ones that really uplift me and make me feel like I'm in the middle of the action and I could achieve anything at any moment. And there's no more uplifting theme, I think, in the past 10 years or so than the specific track called Test Drive from How to Train Your Dragon. Now this comes in a really pivotal scene in the first How to Train Your Dragon movie, and it's a theme that's reused a lot. It's basically the biggest moment of the film when Toothless and Hiccup start to trust each other, and they become a big unit, and they become dragon and rider. And, you know, there's so much uncertainty in that unlikely bond before that. And then mixed with, like, the animation and the visuals, it just comes together. It's a beautiful symphony of sounds and sights and everything. So... It's one of those themes that, like, you picture yourself flying as it goes on. So, of course, you got to blast it in the car. And it's one of those where, like, if I need a pick-me-up, if I'm feeling down, it's one that I'll just blast at 30 on the radio and just drive full tilt, obeying the speeding laws, of course. But (laughs) I'll just get lost in the moment. And that's what the best things about movies do to you. And that specific track can do that to me at any moment. Any moment. Mm Mm-hmm. I think one of the cool things about that, too, is that How to Train Your Dragon as a series has stuck to using themes rather than whatever pop song is popular at the time. Or even, like, original songs like Lonely Island doing Lego movie kind of stuff. (laughs) It's fun and it works for each individual movie, but there's just something awesome about composing your own theme and How to Train Your Dragon has stayed really true to that. And I think it makes it a more emotional series as a whole because of its dedication to its music. And I love that they swirl in like the the Scots, Scottish Viking kind of feel to it. Oh yeah, true. You know Very what I mean? True. Yeah. yeah. I love that they they you know mix that in with their epic theme at the same time. It fits really well. Yeah, it establishes the setting extremely well. I agree. Yeah, oh, such a good choice. I the, I think those are some of the 
as far as animated movies go, those two are so underrated. Like, they don't get talked about enough. They really should, too. How to Train a Dragon had the uh, misfortune of coming out the same year as Toy Story 3. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, How to Train Your Dragon, you got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Guess what? We got a 99 like, are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys were great, but oh, we're one of the best God. endings ever. Sorry. And then the second one lost to freaking Big Hero 6, which don't get me started on that. Yeah, it was not happening. Yeah, that, that. that ain't right. <laughs> All right, I think that just leaves me with the final vote here. And he's another heavy hitter when it comes to movie scores. Right th up there with John Williams, in my opinion. And that is Hans Zimmer, uh, specifically his work in Inception. And I love time. So a lot of the really popular movie scores, like even the classic ones like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Superman, they're all designed to get you like amped up and excited. And those are really cool for one reason. This one is just its own little beast because it shows up at the very end of the movie um, after everyone has gone through this incredible cathartic journey and it's become like really really popular as like a go-to i need an emotional soundtrack for my random youtube video right. oh god. let's throw this one in there oh god and yeah <laughs> it's almost overdone like radio uh, noise at this point unfortunately um but it got there because the theme is just so darn good i love inception and this theme just tying it all together at the very end makes this movie so much better in my opinion i love it love it love it i'm, I'm glad you didn't go with the because i feel like when people hear inception they think of the big blaring yeah. blah <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm really glad um, you brought that up so audience members can think of something other than the shatter your eardrum horn. Yeah, it started that trend in movie trailers, especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, soundtrack. and I understand why that's the theme that's remembered, because that's the one that kind of pervades throughout the entire film and kind of keeps the tone consistent. And it's so unique and loud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, like, time stands out really well in contrast to that. You know what I mean? It's the it's the wrap up. It's the denouement moment. It's the, here's everything that we need to know about the end of the story. Or is it the end of the story? And that's, you know, that's the way that I, I love how the it kind of, like, peters out at the end and becomes very, like, piano-based. Mm -hmm. Not to get, like, musical nerd, but, like, that kind of stuff plays so well with how the movie wraps up. Hans Zimmer's one of the best of that. Amen. His themes are so succinct and do such a good job at boiling down what you're looking at in the moment. And completely by the music, too, which I love. Like, there's almost no dialogue through the entire finale of Inception because the music speaks for itself. Right. And that's when music is brilliant. And that's when music is brilliant. And I think all of our themes accomplish that in the same moment, which is really, really cool. So I think these were all really good choices, guys. And I think this is a discussion that I think a lot of our viewers might have some opinions on. So if you have... A score that you're like, oh, what are they doing? Why didn't they mention that? Oh, oh, oh my God. Um, please, please let us know what you're thinking of. What is your favorite music from big, iconic movies? Uh, let us know. Email us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, whatever. Just let us know. Um, that'll do it for our lobby talk tonight. Let's move into our news segment. 
And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, raise your hand. Who loves Thanksgiving here? Uh, this is not going to look great in a non-visual medium, but both these guys are raising their hand right now. Oh, God. They're giving me looks like they're yelling at me <laughs> with their eyes because neither of them raised their hands. Nobody they raised their hand. They not suck. even you raised your hand. No, you I know. Why would I raise my own hand? <laughs> I, I proposed the question. But anyway, one of the best things about Thanksgiving is surprises. Um, you know, like, oh, Grandma's stuffing was really good this year. Or, oh, my God, Disney dropped the trailer to the live action Lion King movie in the middle of the Cowboys Redskins game. Let's hear a little bit of it here. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. One day, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. That was a snippet of the trailer for the new Lion King live, do we call it live action? Probably CG is the better term because live action makes it sound like we're actually going to be hanging out with lions. Um, but anyway, kind of in the style of the Jungle Book, in the style of Beauty and the Beast, they're adapting their animated classics to a more modern format. It's one of the most watched trailers ever, directed by John Favreau who did the Jungle Book remake. Voices of Donald Glover, Beyonce, Billy Eichner, Seth Rogen, John Oliver, Chuetel Ejiofor, and of course, James Earl Jones back in the role of Mufasa. That's who you heard a snippet of there. The Lion King will be dropping next July. So guys, we've talked about in the past, I can't confirm this, but we've talked about like the trend of Disney live action remakes. Again, live action. To death. (laughs) But like, you know, this is one of the big ones, unquestionably. Like think about how much money Beauty and the Beast made. And then think about its popularity compared to The Lion King. This is going to be stupid in terms of money. It honestly <laughs> might be a $2 billion movie. But taking away the stupid amount of money part, I mean, you can you can talk about it a little bit. But starting with Nate, what, did you, what are your impressions of the idea in general, what you see in the trailer? Are you digging it? So let's well, start with art style because that's honestly the most of what we got so far. And... Animals look incredible. They look just like they did in Jungle Book, like whatever technology they're using to make photorealistic CGI animals is really, really good. Um, I wish we could see a little bit more of the animals talking because that's definitely going to impact how they look on screen. And what I'm really surprised about is that we didn't hear any songs it's still kind of up in the air of like how musical this movie is going to get because part of what makes Lion King so iconic is the music. Yeah. And they could go the Jungle Book route where they kind of sing in the background in more montage format and they aren't actually like performing on screen, so to speak. Right. That movie really didn't commit um, to whether it was a musical or not at all. Exactly. <laughs> um, or you could go full Beauty and the Beast with it. We don't know yet. And... It's obviously a teaser trailer for a reason, and this is just to get people excited. Um, but very curious to see exactly where they go with it, because we haven't seen much else from this trailer yet. 
So, Jake, I know you have strong opinions about these live action remakes. And not necessarily. I just find myself defending them in terms of us three. Like, I don't love any of them. I think Jungle Book was good. I thought Beauty and the Beast was okay. I don't even know if I've seen the other ones, to be honest. <laughs> See, it's weird because um, I feel like I'm mostly down on these. And I think I like the Jungle Book more than you. Could be. But, like, that was just that was just a weird quirk. Yeah. Um. But when this when this dropped, I was like, oh, cool, interesting. And obviously, Nate, you know, like Nate said, we don't get much. But visually, holy ham, it is beautiful. I think it looks absolutely beautiful visually. I mean, could the story be exactly the same, if not worse? Yeah. Yeah, probably. You're not going to do better than the original. It's just not going to happen. But visually, about as good as I could have hoped for. In terms of the animals and the, the landscape and Pride Rock, I think it looks great. Uh, I am curious to see how they talk, how they sing, where they go with the story, if there's anything new at all, and if it is, is it good? I'm very curious about all that, but this was a very visual trailer, and for me, success. Looks great. I'm so conflicted about this, because I would say probably for me, The Lion King is my favorite. I mean, again, that's not a controversial thing, but it's probably my favorite <laughs> Disney movie. It was just such a huge part of my childhood. Like, I remember watching that movie probably at least 35 to 40 times growing up. If, if yeah, not I watched it that. a lot too. I watched it so much. Amen. And movies like Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King are so good that like there's no there's no topping them really. It feels like and Beauty and the Beast really suffered from that. Having said that, I think that I like the team behind this enough that I'm at least curious. It does look really pretty. And if you, I guess in my head, if I look at it as like a cover band, kind of doing their own twist on the same story. Well, that's exactly what you're gonna get. Um, someone put together a side-by-side -side comparison of the shots that we see in this trailer to the shots from the original animated movie, and they're framed the exact same way. So it could honestly be a shot-for-shot -shot remake of The Lion King, just with CGI animals instead yeah, of Yeah, just being animals. very safe and making it look pretty. Right. And <laughs> honestly, that might be enough for some people. I don't think it'd be enough for me to say I support these live-action Disney remakes. I've on the record saying that I don't like the idea of any of them, but it's <laughs> they keep making money and they're going to keep doing them, and this one looks like they're going to knock it out of the park if that's what people want to see in theaters. Right. There's at least three of them coming out next year. There's Dumbo, there's Aladdin, and then there's this one. That's that's in the span from March to July. That's so huge. there's a test right there. Like, if this isn't working, mm -hmm. they'll know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be too late to change it by the right, time like, the last one comes out, though. <laughs> the other ones are already so far in development. At this it's like they're, they're, they're getting bigger every two months. Like, all right, we'll do Dumbo in March. That'll do all right. Right. We'll do Aladdin in May. That'll do better. And then we'll give them Lion King in July and have them all just sit inside all summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disney is primed to have maybe the biggest year of all time next year. Like, I feel like we say that for the last four years, but you're right. You're right, though. <laughs> you have an Avengers movie and a Star Wars movie. I mean, you had that in 2015, but you have Lion King, you have Aladdin, you have Dumbo. Then you have Toy Story 4 as well. Captain Marvel in March Captain as well. Captain Marvel, Spider-Man. Like, ugh, it's just going to go nuts. <sighs> anyway, obviously we'll have a lot more to say on that as that comes along oh, yeah. the pipeline. But we got to move on to our other news. Um, in more kind of like inside baseball, less like blockbustery news. The Oscars. Of course, we're getting into the thick of the season. The big critics are giving away their awards starting now. We're starting to see who are going to be the front runners. Um, but the Oscars made headlines a little prematurely this year by 
teasing the idea of a best popular film category, something that was met with a lot of backlash, and we talked about it on this show. Uh, and if you want to listen to our discussion for that, look back in the middle seats. But anyway, they kind of like slowed their roll on that. And now there are high-profile people coming out saying like, that idea is misguided. And one of those people that are coming out and talking about that is director Christopher McQuarrie. Um, if you don't know the name, you've seen probably a couple of his movies at least. Uh, most notably this year's Mission Impossible Fallout, which I still contend might be the best action movie of the year. But we'll get Ugh. we'll get more into that as the as the year goes on. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie with great stunts in it. That's one of the big marketing points of that. So Christopher McQuarrie in an interview recently kind of turned the Academy and put them on the hot seat and said, why not focus on things like best stunt work? And I think this quote's kind of hilarious because it's already like really sly. Listen to how he starts this. I can't think of a film recently that might qualify. Pause. Your own movie, but okay. I can't think of a film recently that might qualify, but that's an art. That's a skill. That's a craft. Talking about stunt people. Those are people risking their lives and doing things that are absolutely and utterly truly amazing and are so much a part of an experience like that. Not just in films like this. You go look at like Hell or High Water, Lone Survivor. The stunts in those movies were absolutely incredible. In terms of a new category, I think that's what you need to do. So that's what he's talking about. Forget popular film. Focus on things like best stunt category. Now, guys, there are specialty awards, of course, for stunt people. But should it be rolled into the overall Oscar picture? Jake. So pause. He's being modest. There's a reason he's bringing it up. Right. And not anybody else. There's a reason he's the one that brought it up. So Chris McCarry, I appreciate you being modest, but come on your movie would win this year and probably next year. But if hypothetically speaking, but I don't think it's a bad idea because he's right. They're a huge part of um, the filmmaking process, um, especially in the action movies, obviously. And, you know, a lot of people might not be familiar with or understand, but they're not really familiar with sound mixing or sound editing either. Neither am I. Right. I don't know anything about sound mixing. Nate probably does, but I don't. I still get it mixed up. Um, (laughs) But I think in my opinion, I think that'd be a cool category. And, Kind of side tangent, if they're going to add categories, they should really add best like CGI as well. Really, so Andy Serkis can get an Oscar. But Right. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I think it it makes sense, and it's a big part of the movie industry, so why not? Nate, you do your, all your own stunts. What do you think about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not up for an Oscar this year, unfortunately. I got to I gotta wait till Yeah, because there's no category. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's an interesting idea, uh, but... It's definitely a hard one to execute. Part of for the reason that Jake just brought up, how do you categorize CGI stunt work in there? There's been a lot of developments in the field with not even just computer-generated stunts, but even like robotic stunts or like green screen stunts that use actors and like sort of choreographed wire setups to make things happen. Um, just hard to categorize, I guess. And who would who would it go to? Would it go to the stunt coordinator or the stunt men or all of them? I would think it'd have to go to the stunt coordinator. Yeah. But if but if it's me and I'm jumping out of a helicopter, I want that Oscar. Right. Well, you can put it on your <laughs> resume. <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, as part of this Oscar-awarded stunt, like you're awarding an individual scene now. Right. Um, rather than an overall performance. That's true. Right. Could you imagine if like Tom Cruise's stunt guy won, but like Tom Cruise didn't win? Like how much that would kill him? <laughs> Like, I'm just saying. Like, I, exactly. And I think, I think he would die doing a stunt. Right. <laughs> a posthumous stunt. Ooh, that, just, <laughs> oh God. that just wouldn't work. And, oh, God. There's all um, knock on wood right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I think it's a cute idea, but I don't think it's something that you could fairly implement into an already pretty busy Oscar awards. In my professional that is opinion. that is true. They always take forever. I, I would wonder if they would just not even give that one on air. You know what I mean? Like they would start to. I mean, I don't. I'm not advocating for that. I, I'll sit and watch the technical ones all day. The Oscars got to do all their other stuff like side stuff too. I feel like in terms of watching, people would watch the stunt category over sound mixing and editing because there's yeah. like, like, you know, big mm-hmm. exciting scenes going on. Well, what they really need to do is they need to cut the skits is what they need to do for like pacing. Like I didn't need to see them go interrupt the screening of a wrinkle in time this year. Like, do you remember that? Like how long yeah. that took <laughs> stuff like that is fascinating as far as like the entertainment of the show versus the practicality of the show and the awards you're actually giving out. And Nate, you make a good point. Like this is a this is just a raw idea. There's a lot of fine tuning that's ha- going to have to be done. Having said that, personally, I would prefer like the fine tuning be done on that as opposed to like you know the best popular film category, which for me feels redundant and kind of insulting. Wouldn't it just be like what what made the most money? Here you go. Right. And yeah, and honestly, as time goes on, I think that frustrates me more because it would just encourage movies to appeal to audience members which is already what we're getting right and we've gone over in detail like why popular film already exists called the people's choice awards basically but you know in my mind i would like the oscars to remain about the specialty crafts you know what i mean like that and like that's what i love about it like art of filmmaking right exactly the art of filmmaking that just happens to be watched by millions who don't watch these movies throughout the year long story short yes i would like a stunt category i think that would be cool don't know if it's ready immediately, but I would like to see it in the future. And I think all of us can agree with some tuning. It would be something that would be welcome. Um, speaking of Oscar season, this is a little bit of a fun one here. An Oscar darling studio uh, over the last couple of years, they really hadn't done anything more before like 2013 or something like that. A24 is one of the big companies, and they're going to be all around the Oscars this year and every year. They've got Hereditary, Eighth Grade, Ex Machina, The Witch, Moonlight, Room, Lady Bird, all these great, great indie movies. And so many more. And so many more. So A24, they also have a good sense of humor about themselves. They have a pretty funny Twitter account. They have a pretty funny uh, online presence. It seems like they're run by a lot of younger hipsters. You know what I mean? Uh, So they've come out with a product – for your own holiday sense, called the A24 Genre Candles. So guys, available on their sites right now, there are different scents for different genres. So if you want your house to smell like The Witch, like a horror movie, um, (laughs) you can buy a horror candle. If you want your house to smell like La La Land or something, I know they didn't produce La La Land, but that's just an example. There's a musical one. Smells like a valley or smells like rainwater, like singing in the rain. They have noir, they have thriller. They have Western. Um, So, guys, kind of a creative thing. Cute. I mean, it's hard. Again, none of us have smelled these things. But, Nate, if you had to pick one one genre, doesn't even have to be one that they offer, what would you want? I'm just looking through the scents here, and I kind of like the idea of adventure. They describe it as uh, rosemary, Spanish sage, white grapefruit, white thyme, juniper twig, and cedar. And, you know, that just tickles my fancy and something that I could just sit back and smell the aroma in my room as I edit this podcast and edit out more and more of you guys saying um over and over and over again. Uh, to err is too human, so bite me. Right, exactly. <laughs> it beats the usual B.O. 
<laughs> wow, Jake and I teamed up <laughs> on that. It definitely one. was. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and Andrew are both very insecure about our. Uh, For real. My room probably smells like hereditary, to be honest, but like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Just trauma. Right, exactly. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah. Um, so I am curious. I don't know that they have my attention just yet. I'd like to know what stores will be selling them because I would like to take a gander at what they're offering. It's certainly interesting. Could very much appeal to people like us. Here we are talking about it. And I, I kind of hope that if this does well, it expands. Like, I don't know. Like, what would Lord of the Rings smell like? Oh, individual movies would be awesome. I don't think you want to know, though. That's the thing. Like, Well, there's certain ones I wouldn't want to know. Like, Mad Max would just be a desert, so that's... Unnecessary. Right. Can you imagine Game of Thrones? It would just smell like incest the whole time. Like, or blood. Or what blood. the hell does incest smell like? I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have the candle to tell Nate, me. Nate, I'm glad you asked because I didn't want to. <laughs> um, I think it's a fascinating topic. I'd love to hear and see and smell more about this. I think the obvious miss here, though, is like, where is the cooking movie? Like a ratatouille candle? <laughs> oh, ratatouille. Ooh. That'd be so good. Yeah, that you have the wet mouse mixed in there, though. Oh God, yeah. just like a little twinge <laughs> of something slightly off with your meal. Yeah, if Pixar is <laughs> going to follow in Disney's footsteps and they're going to make live action remakes, I really don't want to see a Ratatouille. Like it'll, that would make it so gross. Just a side note to kind of tie it all back together. <laughs> and you're right, Nate. I'm just looking up around and like I would like kind of like a spy movie because I feel like it would smell like clean. It would be kind of slick smelling. Uh, it also would probably smell like basically cologne. Like the Derek Jeter cologne I had yeah. when I was 10. Uh, but like, you know, still be pretty cool, I think. But anyway, just a fun idea from A24. I thought it was cute. Oh my goodness. What an interesting topic. Like we all have something to say and at the same time, none of us are sure what right. to say. It's just stalling, basically. <laughs> uh, and that, that tells me that we're done with news. Let's move into our review of Creed 2. It's like nothing really matters to him right now. You gotta think real hard about this. You got people that need you now. I'm taking the fight. Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge. Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said. He died right here in my hands. I want to rewrite history. If you want to fight this man, that's your business. But don't pretend this is about your father. Now you know what you're fighting for. Creed 2 is the eighth film in the Rocky franchise and the second in the spin-off series Creed. It's the sequel to the 2015 original. Uh, it stars Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson, Dolph Lundgren, Florian Montenau, and a bunch of other people, Felicia Rashad. It is directed by Stephen Capel Jr. this time instead of Ryan Coogler, who, of course, moved on to dominate the box office with Black Panther this year. Uh, he's just a producer this time. Stephen Capel Jr., kind of an up-and-coming director, he takes the reins for this big anticipated boxing sequel. Um, it kind of takes place about three years, I think, after the original Creed, like in real time, because the original Creed came out in 2015. Adonis, of course, played by Michael B. Jordan, he successfully followed in the footsteps of his father, Apollo. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's set to start his life with his fiance, Bianca. But then a new challenger emerges, Ivan Drago, who lost to Rocky 30-something years ago after killing Apollo 
uh, Adonis's father in the ring. He's back. He's got a son who's probably even bigger and more muscular than he was back in the day. Although it's pretty close. Dolph Lundgren was ripped back then. Um, despite pleads from Rocky and Bianca, Adonis can't help himself. He signs up for the match, and from there, things spiral. You probably know which way it's going to go. It's a Rocky movie, is how I'll summarize the rest of the plot. So guys, I don't know how everybody feels about the original Creed, but I think you should start with what you feel about that film, and then kind of snowball into your thoughts on this sequel, which comes three years later. Um, Nate, what did you think of Creed, and what did you think of Creed 2? All right. The original Creed was honestly a sucker punch for me. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was, and pretty solid plush recliner on my end. Uh, It had some fantastic choreography. Michael B. Jordan just burst onto the scene. I, I knew of him, but didn't really know how good of an actor he could be until this movie. And he just does such a great job balancing someone who's obsessed with his pride and what he wants to do and who he wants to be with these really emotional and honestly some even tender moments mixed in. And then Sylvester Stallone honestly just came back and made Rocky good again. A great supporting role in that movie. So thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the original Creed. Uh, Moving on to Creed 2. This one follows in the footsteps of the original, but doesn't quite reach the same level that Creed did for me. And maybe it's partially because the shock factor's gone. Like, I knew what to expect out of this series now. But I just felt like there's a little something missing. That said, the new character, Victor Drago, is incredible. I loved him as the antagonist of this movie because they play him off as... Not just, like, a big muscular guy that Creed's got to beat up. Like, he has his own demons to battle with, his own pride to fight for. And then there's the dynamic with his father and Rocky's relationship as well. And it all ties together as a character-driven, emotional powerhouse of a movie that, when it's going, knocks your socks off. So, thoroughly enjoyed both of them, and I'll pass it off to you guys. Well said, Nate. Jake, I remember we reviewed this years ago on uh, the other show. Uh, yeah, back in college. Yeah, so what, are, what were your thoughts then and what are your thoughts now? So like then, I love the original Creed. I just watched it again last week, jogged my memory a little bit. I wasn't quite as over the moon like I was the first time. I think I was very like taken aback and blown away by how good it was the first time. With this one, I was able to sit back a little bit more and readjust. Uh, still great. The first Creed's great. Not quite Royal Throne, but it's one of those movies that, that teeters. Yeah, overall, really, really solid movie, top to bottom. Um, only minor issues with it. And then this new one, Creed Two, um, like, like Nate said, also good. You know, you never know with these sequels how they're going to go. But this was good. I enjoyed it. I was skeptical when Ryan Coogler didn't come back because Ryan Coogler is an outstanding director. So I was a little nervous about that. But uh, it came out well. I think um, my main issues with it for now is that it was, uh, it was pretty by the numbers, by the books, kind of predictable. But that being said... It's still really, really good. It's still entertaining, worth the watch. Good acting across the board. Story was fine across the board. And I guess if I'm going to follow in the footsteps that Nate said and you know take his model, Victor Drago is one of the scariest people I've seen in a long time. You know, not to take it there, but when he just stands there, like shirtless and everything, I'm like, that is a terrifying human. Yeah. He is a fridge. <laughs> that is a terrifying human. I kind of felt that about Michael B. Jordan, though, too. Like, he... You look at him in Creed 1, and now you see him now. 
It's like, oh my god, he ate he ate Michael B. Jordan from Creed One. <laughs> I'm like, Michael B. Jordan can get jacked when he needs to, and then they get Victor, the guy who plays Victor Drago, in, and I'm like, okay, Creed One got green lighted, and then they found Victor and said, start working out now, right now, every day. You're gonna be the biggest person we've ever seen on screen. Go, and then he was. He's gigantic. He's a troll. He's an absolute animal. Yeah, yeah. he's terrifying. Uh, good casting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's not a bad actor. I was a little worried he'd just be this crazy meat muscle head, and there's a little bit more to him. Right. So for me, I think the original Creed, I, I was worried that I would have a similar experience as Jake where I would watch it again, and I'd be like, uh, it's good, but it doesn't hold up quite. Because when I first saw that first Creed, I was honestly blown away. I was like, wow, this is how you yeah. do a sports movie. I kind of had that too. Like, mm-hmm. it, it may be my favorite of the whole series, like even more than the original Rocky. Just like Ryan Coogler's talent and the cast and Stallone gives maybe his best career performance ever in that. And like Tessa Thompson, she's such a revelation in the fight. It just comes together so perfectly. It's so good. And I rewatched clips recently of it and I found myself completely invested in it again, completely teary-eyed and everything. That movie's a royal throne for me to be completely honest. So... Creed 2 has a lot to live up to. Uh, and I will say that I echo kind of what you guys feel. Like, I think it's a very, very solid follow-up. A problem that the Rocky movies had throughout their history is that they would forget what made people like the Rockies movies in the first place, which is, like, less about the boxing and more about Rocky himself and his journey and the underdog story. And there are elements of that, of course, in every Rocky movie, but the fourth one had a robot in it. Like, the third one had Mr. T. <laughs> like... They, they lost themselves a little bit at points, but they're on a bit of a streak to get it back recently, not just with Creed, but with Rocky Balboa, which was kind of like like Rocky's version of Logan, basically, where he's an old man and he's counted out and everything and his body's breaking down on him. And now he's transitioned kind of into the trainer role for these Creed movies, which was a good decision. And I think the thing that makes the movie work the best is that it prioritizes character and story over gloss and glamour and that was something i was worried they were going to do especially with this big long grudge match but everybody here gives a good performance it's a well-directed movie it's a bit more generic and predictable than the original it's a bit more melodramatic there are some sequelitis moments where it feels a little overstuffed and it feels like a kind of a soap opera however you got to give credit to stephen capel jr because he did a good job of keeping the core of what made that first film work which is tessa thompson michael b jordan and sylvester stallone and I thought they did a really good job with the villains. They did a good job of making a character who historically is a cartoon. Like Ivan Drago is one of the most cartoonish characters of all time. Mm-hmm. And they made him sympathetic. Uh, what did you guys think of, I guess, maybe the characters as a good jumping off point? Because they were so big in that first film. The selling point of this movie is how strong the characters are. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, again, brings it as someone who prioritizes his pride almost to the point where any other actor would have made for a very unlikable protagonist. And just his natural charisma, and he just emotes so well and makes it great. In Sylvester Stallone, they give him a little less to do in this one, but they do have a a good send-off moment toward the end of the film for him, then obviously I am not won't spoil here. Um, but I really think the emotional core of this movie is with the, the Russian antagonist, if I'm being honest. I just think their dynamic is so interesting, and it's something that we hadn't seen before that just 
really sold the movie for me, and I wanted to see more of them, even though they had a pretty darn good amount of the screen time. Right. I think a, a more, like, bold movie would have put the parallels right next to each other. I think, for me, my favorite sports movie of all time is Warrior. And Warrior does a really good oh, job. Warrior is excellent. It's an unbelievable MMA movie if you've never seen it with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. But it literally takes both fighters and puts them parallel with each other. And you follow them into the ring. So you don't even know who you're rooting for by the time you get there. Creed 2 was never going to do that. But they did a really good job at making you even consider, am I rooting for the right person? Mm. And that comes back around to Adonis's character himself. But Jake, I'll let you go into the characters and then I'll get into what I mean by that in a bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree actually as far as... Uh, emotional core i i think there was there was definitely some on both sides they give they give rocky less stuff to do but some important stuff to do um adonis is you know obviously important but kind of kind of predictable kind of mainstream like if you if you had asked me before the movie how do you think adonis story is gonna go it would have been pretty much exactly what happened so i mean michael b jordan's a great actor and he is again really good in this and the characters work i just kind of knew what was going to happen as far as he goes. But B and C story of the Dragos and Rocky, I really liked where they went with um, those characters. And I actually think it was important what they did with uh, the Dragos at the end. I really I really enjoyed where they uh, decided to go there. Like you said, they were never going to go parallel. There's obviously good guys and bad guys, and they're going to go back to America versus Russia and all the drama with Adonis's father and stuff like that. But overall, yeah, I think they, they gave the side characters enough to do and made it, even though it's predictable, it was still fresh enough where all of it was still really enjoyable. Right. They kind of take those predictable elements and they avoid making it like a soap opera. They make it feel grounded yeah. and they make they feel like real characters. Um, quickly, agree or disagree? Do you guys feel like kind of from the original Creed, Rocky and Bianca kind of switched roles a little bit? Like as far as prominence goes? Because I feel like Bianca is a lot more important this time around. And I wonder if that has to do with how big Tessa Thompson's become. I think it could be a combo. Um She's, she's definitely getting bigger between Thor Ragnarok and Westworld and, uh, you know, a couple other things she's been in. Right. But I think it's it kind of makes sense story-wise for her to get more screen time because she ends up being his fiance. So naturally, their relationship is going to take a toll on everything that's going on. So I think it makes sense. And as far as Rocky goes, I wonder if that was uh, Stallone's own doing, you know, because he says he, he kind of wants to retire the character, right? Right. It's been circulating a lot recently that he might be on his way out and he co-wrote the film. So he had, he had control of all mm -hmm. of the elements, which is how I feel like a certain subplot ended up in there that we'll talk about later. There are things about both characters that I think work and don't. And I think that part will be better left for spoilers. Um, but the movie yeah. really nails Adonis. And I think what it does really well with Adonis is that it kind of makes him a bit unlikable at points on purpose. You know what I mean? Yes. He's not the most mature person. Like, he's clearly had a rough go at it in life. Um, and Rocky, who was just, like, so lovable coming up, and you always wanted to see him succeed, Adonis is kind of standoffish, and he's a little pompous at points, and he's a little intense and arrogant. It makes him a better, more complete character. And I think a lot of the credit on that goes to Michael B. Jordan, who I think really steps up his game this time, especially from the first film. Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's pretty much the best choice for this role. Like when they were doing the casting, I think this is great, great casting because he's a great actor and he absolutely looks the part as well. But he really he really gets deep down into it. Um, uh, so there, there's a point after he gets the world championship and he, he goes, you know, somebody's telling him like, you're the champ now, this and that. And he goes, why don't I feel like it? And that's where his his anger and his, his you know, his uh, inner conflict and his standoffishness comes from. He 
Maybe the champion doesn't feel like it. He feels like he's got something to prove. There's a chip on his shoulder. His father's legacy, blah, blah, blah. So you know where it comes from, but it still makes you go like, dude, like you're do the right thing here. Yeah. Let, let's move on to the main event, boys. What do we think of the fight scenes in this one? I, for one, I kind of get reminded a little bit of Mission Impossible, where they went for a lot of heavy hitting in this one. Uh, yeah. And this one definitely felt a lot more brutal than the previous Creed. And it made, like, the, the standout punches hit a lot harder for obvious reasons. Um, but I kind of missed that there wasn't a cool single take shot or something of comparable yeah. film skill that we saw in the last one. Because that scene from the original Creed is amazing. It, it's yeah. so good. One of the best scenes of the decade, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's so good. Coogler. I, I wonder if the director just wasn't confident enough. Not as Just not as talented as Coogler. Or, I mean, like, it's really unfair to expect anybody to be Ryan Coogler. Like, that man, yeah. he's in the new wave of, like, Damien Chazelle, Ryan Johnson, Denis Villeneuve coming up on the upswing of, yeah. like, legendary directors. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to expect that. And I don't want there to be, like, the expectation of, oh, it's a Creed movie, so there's got to be a ham-fisted single-take shot in there. I'm not saying, like, it needed to have a yeah, single-take yeah. shot, but I wanted something, something new, something cool, because we've yeah. seen boxing movies before, and the outcome's already predictable because there's going to be a winner and a loser. This movie obviously has to stick to that rules formula, but the way you show the fight is where, like, you get the artistic taste there, and it's a different technique with a new director. And I just felt like it played a little too safe. I know what you mean. I think it was it was still um, it was still a good fight scene. Like, it wasn't boring by any means, but it was sure. missing that you know uh, out of your comfort zone kind of feel. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, it still gets the job done. Like, I was still into it, and my adrenaline yeah. was pumping during it. But uh, you guys are absolutely right, where, like, the skill of the filmmaking is not as thorough. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, it's just not it's not topping where we were before. And a good comparison for me is, like, this is the Rocky Two to Rocky, which is, like, Rocky Two is a really good movie, um, but it's not the original. It's hard to expect it to be. But, like, I'm just glad we got a competent, good sequel. And I think this is yeah. probably – do you guys disagree? I think this is a good point to probably pivot to ratings and then get into spoilers so we could go more. Yeah, depth. there's some spoiler things I want to talk about. Yeah, so if you guys are just joining us for the first time, we grade movies on the seat scale here on the Middle Seats podcast. If we think a movie has basically no flaws whatsoever, it's pretty close to perfect. If not perfect, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is f- like phenomenal but it has like a couple of minor issues, we give it a plus recliner. Uh, if a movie is really good but has some pretty glaring weaknesses, we give it a wooden seat. Kind of the inverse of that, if we think a movie's not very good but it has some pretty solid things in it, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if there's a movie with basically no redeeming qualities whatsoever, we give it something called a sleazy outhouse. And there are different scales of levels of each of these ratings. Plus, if we think a movie's worth seeing in theater, give it a bag of popcorn, uh, whether with an audience or on a big screen whatsoever. So, Jake, what would you give Creed to? Um, so we call this number 86 of me complaining about how indecisive I am with ratings. Um, so the first Creed teeters on the Royal Throne, doesn't quite get there. High or high plush recliner. This is solid plush recliner, maybe on a lower end plush recliner. Uh, really good. Uh, and bag of popcorn. I would say see this in theaters for the really exciting and meaningful fight scenes and about what I was hoping for considering new director and sequelitis and all that stuff. 
You know, I'm fascinated they gave it a bag of popcorn, given what you told me happened at your screening. Well, yeah, I didn't have a very good audience, but the movie itself is worth seeing in theaters. So first off, there was like your typical iPhone ring. And I was like, really? Rule number one, like silence your phone. Really simple. And then I heard an email notification go off and I was like, really? The email notification? Come on. And then I actually was so tempted to say something because I've, I've done it in the past. Um, yes, you have. <laughs> I Every time I was about to, they stopped. The person, the phone was not in their lap. It was at their eye level so everybody could see it. And they were watching YouTube videos. And I was like, what are you doing? Put oh your phone goodness. down and leave. <laughs> Why are you doing this? No sound, but clearly, like, brightness up, eye level, everybody could see. And I was like, man, if I had food, I would throw it. This is <laughs> There's unbelievable. There's a reason to have somebody, food. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, for real. We didn't come up with that, like, a couple months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um... It happened during a spoiler scene, so I don't want to say the scene, but a pretty important scene halfway through the movie, like a quiet, uh, kind of like serious scene. Somebody farted and the crowd started laughing and I was like, come on. So oh, I had a pretty bad crowd, but the movie itself was good and worth seeing in theaters. It sounds like you had like the scary movie crowd, <laughs> like to be honest. <laughs> it was so, I was getting so frustrated, but the movie well, was good. Nate, I'm sure you had a better crowd than that. Uh, what did you? I definitely did. <laughs> what did you think of the movie? <laughs> yeah, so I feel like this is going to be the common theme of the thing. It was good, just not as good as the original, which is weird because it's already a spinoff of a <laughs> long franchise. But I digress. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go wooden seat on this one. I definitely think it's a solid movie, though, and it's still a hearty recommendation for me. But I think it's just a little bit weighed down by its predictability. Yeah. I feel that. And I unfortunately I feel like that's just kind of a limitation of the genre where we expect what's going to happen in almost every single fight it's just a matter of the road we take to get there and it still hits all the standard rocky tropes you got the montage you got to have the the score you got to have the I'm down in the dump scene you got to have the pick me up talk right before the big fight like it just hits all the beats that you know it's going to hit and I feel like I wish this movie removed itself more from the Rocky franchise and just went in on its own identity a little bit more. And I feel like that, I feel like this movie would have been elevated in its rating if it stuck to that kind of guns and just said, you know what? Like, yeah, we got this really cool grudge match, but this is primarily a Creed movie. And it still felt just too much like Rocky for me. And I'll go over a little bit more on that in spoilers, I suppose. Um, but still, hearty recommendation. I'd give it back a popcorn, too. I think it's, I feel like it's a pretty excellently cast and directed movie that's definitely a good time. Yeah, it's going to sound like an echo chamber. I think we're all on the same page here uh, with this one. It was never going to top the original Creed for me. Um, if I had to rank it as far as series ratings go, because I've seen all of them. Um, I watched all of them before the original Creed. Uh, I think I would go Creed, Rocky, Rocky 2, Rocky Balboa, which is the sixth one, and then I would do Creed 2. Um, so it's probably the worst of the good ones, if that makes sense. It's it's predictable. It's a bit soap opera -y. It has some missed opportunities with certain characters, but it gets the important things right, which is the the underdog story, the adrenaline rise and fall story the really good performances it's well shot it's well executed it's got good montages it does what a rocky movie and what a sports movie should do and you're right nate there's kind of a ceiling with these things now because we've seen it done so many times 
that goes with sports movies in general, not just boxing movies, but especially boxing movies, given how many Rocky movies there are. But there is a way to do the formula, still have it be the formula, and make it really, really solid. And I think that's where that lands for me. I'm like right on the border. I think I'm going to give it the plush recliner. It's like a soaked in sweat and blood from like a 12-round fight. Plus your recliner. I, I love that he your does adjectives this. Adjectives make it so much worse. Yeah, he he's like, I'm gonna go high with it, but make it worse. Well, wouldn't you rather a be comfortable bloody? in the? Yeah, I mean, like you. No, can be I'd rather sit on the floor than a blood soaked chair. I don't want to sit in a bloody leather cushion. You guys are giving me a hard time for no reason. I don't get it. <laughs> it's plenty of reason. I'm the referee. Judge's decision makes sense. Um, but yes, I would give it the bag of popcorn as well. It's good to see with an audience that doesn't suck. Um, yeah. but it, yeah, so, I mean, so what do we got? Two plush recliners and we have a wooden seat. So we're all about in the same range, I think. Yeah. I think on a different day, Jake and I might be closer to the wooden seat and yeah, I am might kind be closer of, to the yeah. plush recliner, but. No, I don't budge, man. My ratings are final. I, <laughs> let's move into spoilers. If you have not seen Creed 2, tune out now. Uh, if you have seen Creed 2 or don't care what happens, come with us. Whoa. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So guys, of course, one of you alluded to the fact that there, you know, there's only so certain outcomes. Basically, they all end the same. It's basically your hero wins even if they don't win. You know what I mean? Like technically he lost in Creed 1, which I forgot by the way mm-hmm. until they flashed his stats up. I was like, "Oh yeah, he did technically lose that." But he went the distance. Right, exactly. So he- that that was what it was. And that happened in the original Rocky too where yep. he lost it technically, but he really won. And then eventually he did beat him in Rocky Two. spoilers. But yeah, so they they have the fight in the middle. And technically, I thought this was an interesting wrinkle, that technically Adonis wins that fight, even though he ends up like in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Drago loses on a technicality. I actually really like that because now that we're in spoilers, it's like first act, everything goes really well for Adonis. Heavyweight, baby, successful proposal, yada, yada. He gets his butt handed to him by this guy, but technically there was an illegal shot, so Drago gets disqualified. And then the whole thing is he has to work his way back to win in the end. Like, it's very predictable. But I actually like that, that he didn't win and lose. Drago was killing him and got disqualified because he got heated. I actually like that little detail. I did too. And it gave something for Drago's character to fight for in the end. Like, yeah. he wanted to earn his title back, and you felt sorry for him because he deserved that win. Yeah, absolutely. He was gun- He was going to win. There's no doubt about it. He just mm. got too heated. Yeah. Right. And I also think it does a good job to put the pressure back on Adonis. There's a ticking time bomb for him. If he doesn't act and get his act together and fight somebody, maybe not mm-hmm. like Victor, but if he doesn't fight somebody, he's going to have to relinquish the title anyway. And that's that's mm-hmm. a real thing. That happened to McGregor. Right. He, he won two belts and was like, yay, I'm the champ, and then didn't fight for a year. And they were like, screw you. This division's going to move on. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it happens. It makes it realistic. It makes it more grounded. But it's an yeah, interesting absolutely. wrinkle to the sub. I mean, like, we know eventually Adonis is going to figure it out and he'll win and everything will be okay. But it's an interesting twist so that it's not the exact same thing again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think both of these movies, what they do really well is they make they make me want to get out and succeed. Like, I actually did go for a, a short run. After I saw Creed 2, I was like, I got to get out there and like get the abs, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I want to I want to be good at what I want to be good at. 
Like they're really motivational. I don't know why I could not think of that word. They're really good <laughs> at being motivational and inspiring and like, like uplifting and making you go like, yeah. You know what I mean? Both of them do that for me. Right. And that's what they should do. And one of the things that they made me do it with, which I think is also a good way to, to switch it up, even though it was very predictable, was his training camp for the final fight out in the desert. Yeah. I think that was much better than him just going back to a gym and training. I agree. Because not only did they switch it up, they showed you how he's going to beat him. They're switching his style. They're switching his training. They're switching everything. And this is what the ticket is to beat him. And I was like, I like that a lot. That works. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Um, <laughs> I, I won't take credit for it, but a, a common internet comment is that people wanted Mr. T to be running that gym out in the desert. Mm. They got to save that for Creed 3. <laughs> um, um, and that's kind of where you got your parallels too, because you were flashing back between both fighters training in their different styles under different conditions. And you're like, oh, who's going to win? And you know Creed's going to win by the end yes. of it. But um, <laughs> that was your cool moment where you had some more interesting shots during the montage that right. you knew was coming. And that comes back to the whole thing we were talking about like even just a half an hour ago uh, earlier in the podcast about the Lion King. We were talking about cover bands. You know what I mean? Like, sure, Weezer can cover Toto's Africa if as long as they make it their own and they make it interesting. And that's like what these movies are doing. Like Creed 1 and Creed 2 basically follow the greatest hits of Rocky. But it works because they have talented people who care behind it. Actually, on this note, when we get to the final fight, the film embraces the iconic Rocky sound at the end, like right when he gets his second wind. Right. And I'm going to be honest, that one actually took me out of the movie a little bit because it just felt so fan servicey. I kind of wish we almost got like a hip hop remix of a Rocky theme or a brand new theme that's Creed's theme. And we could have had that in the movie. Or something else. Because huh. going back to what I was talking to earlier in the podcast, I feel like this is a strong enough character that this can be its own franchise and it doesn't need to continue to tie itself down to the Rocky themes and the Rocky formula. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity where you really could have gone all in on this is Creed's story with Creed's music. And... We just we didn't get that because we needed to have the Rocky theme track somewhere. And I feel like that's that's holding it back, not raising it upward. I thought they did such a good job at using it in the first one. Like they picked the perfect moment to use it in the first one um, mm. that like, yeah, I, I agree. It felt a little derivative to do it again. It just um, felt corny. Yeah. I mean, like it didn't it, it did. I don't think it bothered me nearly as much as it seemed to have bothered you. But like I see what you're saying for sure. Yeah, mm. I, I could I could politician it and play both sides because when they did it, I was like, admittedly, I was a sucker. They reeled me in and I went like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if they had already identified a great Creed theme and then played that in there, I might have done the same thing. Right. Or again, even a hip hop version of the Rocky theme, like the same notes, but sounding unique, I think could have mm. done something. Can't you see the know. internet kind of complaining about that, though? Like, oh, oh they, yeah. Or, yeah, like, I mean, you oh, can't please yeah. everybody. The internet complains about everything. This is what I wanted the movie to be. True. <laughs> yeah. Let's kind of like, let's get into kind of the side characters and their specific subplots that kind of yeah, tie into the... Adonis's whole journey. Like, Rocky has his own thing with his son, uh, played by Milo Ventimiglia, who we haven't seen since the sixth one. Um, but of course the big thing non-boxing related is Bianca, her hearing disability and how that hearing disability could translate over to their child. 
and honestly, it's probably the weakest thing about the movie. Like, it's an interesting wrinkle as a character and an interesting idea, uh, another th- piece of adversity. But the movie kind of treats it like an afterthought. Like It glosses over it. Right. In like, a major way. In a big way. And I was kind of like, this seems like it should be a much bigger deal. Like, this yeah. is the kind of thing that you might even drop the fight for. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think for me, though, one, I would assume they probably filmed more on it. And the editor was like, we got to shorten this up. Yeah, that's very, very likely. I yeah. would think you never know. But for me, I think they like it was an interesting tidbit and it was something for Bianca to focus on uh, and, and be sad about. But for me, I was like, so so she's deaf. You will be, too. It's just you just learn to sign and she has a disability and then you kind of go with it. Like, I never really felt that strongly about it and when Rocky made his point that's how I felt like so she has a hearing disability you're gonna love her no matter what right it's gonna be a struggle for your family and then you'll move on yeah this is my issue springing off of that Jake is why did Rocky need to be the one to tell Creed that you're gonna love your daughter either way why is that not a conversation with your wife or your fiance excuse me right I guess they're they're a young couple and they're both going through their own thing so Rocky being the coach and the father figure you know wow you're just making excuses now that would that was a grown-up moment for Adonis to go through no, you're right. um, with Bianca's character and they skimmed over it so that way Rocky could have the pep talk and that's yeah. the kind of stuff that holds the movie back it does seem like a missed opportunity in that point if it had happened earlier in the movie, I'd be okay with it because we kind of talked about how immature of a character Adonis can be, uh, and that's kind of what makes him interesting. But like, yeah, I, I I think I see what you're saying, Nate. In that specific moment, we have like 20 minutes of the movie left at that point. Like, let him come to that realization on his own, or yeah. work it out with Bianca and give her a little bit more to do because right. she doesn't do a whole ton in this movie. She has the baby, and obviously that's big plot device and important to Creed. But the conflict of I want to be a good father doesn't really come into play until he's talking to his father's tombstone at the end of the movie. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. point. Good point. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that'll be their, their big third movie. They're going to be a third one. I'm assuming, right? Well, here's, here's the thing. I think this is a good point for us to pivot into final thoughts. And I think yeah. part of that final thoughts I want to hear is, do you guys think this should be the end? Do you think we should touch it? Cause Stallone has already alluded to the fact that he might be done. Um, he recently for real did that. this time. For real, yes. He's getting up there in age. I don't know what much more they could do with Rocky. This is a pretty good send-off for him. So final thoughts on this movie, and do you think there should be another? Let's start with Jake on this one since you were already on a roll. So um, one last point I wanted to bring up before final thoughts is the the whole Drago thing. I know Nate wanted to talk about this too. I really liked how his family was disgraced in Russia for Ivan Drago losing – when he's losing and the main important people of his country get up to leave, he looks distraught. He's getting his butt kicked and he can't do anything about it. He's too strong to go down, but he's losing and he's going to lose again. And Ivan Drago himself throws in the towel and comforts him and says, it's all right. I went through this pain. I'm there for you and I get it. And I really, I really like that a lot. Um, so I really like that little tidbit for him. I think that was a little nice differentiation. Differentiation. That's a word, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I did like that for him and Ivan Drago both uh, shows growth. We like that movies, yada, yada. Um, the final thoughts overall, really good. Worth the watch. If you like sports movies or the Rocky series, definitely worth the watch. Not bad by any means. Not great, predictable, but not bad. And I think I, I'd be okay with this ending, but I'd be okay with one more as well as in like, so he defended his belt and then maybe one final one, he builds a legacy. 
one more showing it. So he builds his legacy and, you know, is there for his family like his father struggled to be, just emphasizing it more. Like, we don't need it, but I wouldn't mind another one either. I can kind of go either way. All right. Go ahead, Nate. I think this is the perfect send-off for Rocky Balboa as a character. Stallone put in a good performance again, and, like, I think he's done what he needs to do. He's trained Creed, he's reconnected to his son, and he's been a mentor to all the people that needed his help. And I think his character's gone through that arc. Uh, Going back to what Jake was saying about that final fight, where Ivan Drago throws in the towel because he knows his son has done his limit and he doesn't want to hurt his family any more than he already has. The perfect foil to that is Rocky's character, where he was a stubborn mule who didn't want to give up to the point where people got hurt. And uh, he's grown up, and we've seen that throughout his movie, trying to hold back Creed, um, even though he wasn't listening because he was being stubborn. I think it's just like the perfect arc for his character and I'd be very content if his character retired. Uh, That said, I am perfectly fine for another Creed movie. Like I said earlier, I think this is a strong enough character with strong enough themes that they can keep on going with this franchise as a Creed franchise and not as a Rocky franchise. I think you can make it work. Um, So to summarize everything I'm feeling, Enjoyed the movie, solid movie, a little too predictable, but it did a great job with both the protagonists and the antagonists and making them all seem human, real, and raw. Really, really cool. You know what? I agree with you. I'm going to cut off Andrew and put it in one more final thought. Because <laughs> you're right. Rocky's arc is very definitive and very good here. It goes to see his son at the end. Great ending. And I think one more movie could build Creed's legacy and show that he can do it without his coach. And I think I could see another one with that. I like what you said there. All right, sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Here's the thing about Rocky's character is that so many times we've thought like, okay, this should be it. Like, oh, Rocky Balboa, that's a perfect finale for him. And they keep finding decently interesting things to do with him. But you're right. I think the character of Creed by himself at this point is able to carry that torch and keep going if they need to keep doing this. I just don't want them to go over the top and go too silly with it. Like, I don't want them to fall into the same mistakes as the original series because this is about the time where they started to lose their way. They can be a little melodramatic. Okay, it's part of the genre. Like, that's fine. But I don't want them to lose track of the human elements and what makes these movies work so well, which is the performances and the likable characters and the fact that you're rooting for an underdog. That's the main formula. And Creed II remembers that even though he's now the champion of the world – You need to find a way to break them down so you can build them back up again so the audience can get behind them again. That's a key thing that a lot of bad movies don't figure out. And Creed II does, to its credit, it's a very good sequel. It's not quite as good as the original, but I absolutely do recommend it, especially if you're a sucker for these kind of movies. You're just going to eat it up. But even if you're not, I think you'll have a good time with it. So, yes, I think we're all pretty pleased with this one. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're pretty pleased that this episode of The Middle Seats is coming to an end, ringing that final bell, ring, ring. Uh, Anyway, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. 
For any questions, comments, or updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Thanksgiving weekend is one of the biggest weekends for movies and... You know, it had a couple of major releases. We didn't even talk about the number one movie of the weekend. So we'll get to that next time around. We'll be talking about another highly anticipated sequel, this one from Disney, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So we'll get into that. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Roger. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. 